And then we'll also look at Psalm 37 and 5. So Proverbs 16 and 3, and then also Psalm 37 and 5. Praise God. Praise God. I tell you what, before, before I read this, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that I'm not going to have time at the end to say a couple of things that I feel like really need to be said this morning, and they would mesh better if you, you know, first hear uh, a lot of the things that we're going to say before this, you know, kind of leading up to those things. But I just feel an urgency uh, this morning to say this, and in the in the days ahead, we're going to make a strong biblical connection between trusting God and our mental health. Um, our, our, our nation is experiencing a mental health crisis. And, and, and I know that a lot of folks, you know, maybe think that's an exaggerated statement because we've come to accept things like anxiety and depression as normal parts of life. And my friend, they're not. The Bible is very clear. We should be anxious for nothing. Amen. But in everything, prayer and suffering. Anxiety has no place in the heart of, of one of God's children. Now, it's not, that's not a statement of judgment. Um, anxiety is a form of fear, and the Bible is very clear about it. Fear has torment. Torment. And then anxiety in the heart of a man, Proverbs 12 and 25, causes depression. So depression has a cause. It's, it's, it's the fruit of a deeper root. And aren't you glad that when Jesus bled to death naked on a cross, he did so for your spirit, he did so for your mind, he did so for your emotions, and he did so for your physical well-being. In other words, he didn't just do what he did for you spiritually, but every dimension of your existence, spirit, soul, and body, Jesus has paid the price for it. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that that crown of thorns that went down on his head uh, was suffering in the area of the mind and the, and the emotions. He suffered in these areas for you. So what is the answer other than the world's answers and the medications that the world offers for all of this? I'm not trying to oversimplify it, my friend, but the answer is trusting God. You see, what the events of 2020 and beyond that's, that's taking place in, in our world. I said this when all this was unraveling, that, that COVID has exposed some areas in God's people's lives that we, I think, personally need to, needed to be exposed. In other words, we needed to realize, hey, you know, some of these areas that we think we're really doing well in, maybe, <laughs> maybe we need to step back and reevaluate here. And one of the big ones is, you know, our are we genuinely trusting God? It's very easy for us to deceive ourselves in these areas into thinking that we are trusting God when we're not. And so when something like uh, a worldwide pandemic uh, happens, you know, we, we tend to see, amen. And, and again, that's not a statement of, of judgment. You know, we are, you are the bride of Christ. And, and you know, the last thing you want to do is insult a man's bride. You know, so this isn't about... Um, throwing stones or, or anything like that. But 
I believe that we're leaving a lot on the table. In, in, in other words, there's, there's rights and privileges and benefits and blessings that, that are ours. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to have and to enjoy that we're not experiencing or enjoying, at least maybe not in the fullest measure that we could be. And so a lot of this comes back to trusting God. You see, trusting God brings perfect peace is what the Bible says. Perfect peace comes from those who have put their trust in God. So in the same way that rest is a leading indicator of what it means to be in faith, if you're curious of whether or not you're in faith about some situation or issue in your life or family, just ask yourself, are you at rest about that? Because if you're truly in faith about it, you'll have rest. Now, I know this is very simple, but I really feel like the Lord spoke it to my heart this morning for me to speak it to you, okay? You can have peace when you don't understand if you trust someone who does understand. You can have peace when you don't understand what's going on. or you know, That's where the devil creates so much stress and anxiety in our lives is, is when we deal with things that, you know, as faith people, it's like, man, what is this all about? I don't, I don't understand this, you know. And then, you know, if you, um, if you read the book of Job, you see where... Uh, Job's friends, they showed up to, um, to encourage him and stuck around to judge him, you know, and accusing him of you did this and you did that and all this has happened because of this thing and that and all this other stuff. And if, we, if you don't have people in your life that do you that way, I guarantee you that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse you. And, and so a lot of times when we face challenges and, and things in life that we don't understand, um, you think, well, how can you have peace in a situation that you don't understand if you learn to trust someone who does. Like a lot of the things that, that, my, that my dad's going through, and I'm talking practical now, but this is true both spiritual and practical. In a practical sense, I mean, I, you know, obviously I, I love my dad, you know, want to try to help him fix him with this. I don't understand how to go into his lung with a robot and take out something that doesn't need to be there, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but the Lord led us to a, to a doctor who does know how. He's devoted his whole life to not only doing that, but to teaching other people how to do it. And, um, and so in a, in a practical sense, in a, in a natural sense, I don't understand, but the Lord led us to put our trust in someone who does understand, who, who does know how to fix this, who does know how, right? And so just when we talk about our mental health, and, and notice you're hearing a lot in the secular world about this, okay? Um, and it's sad to me that the church is silent on these things when we should not be. Now, we talk about it around here all the time, but I'm just saying, for the most part, even you, you have people say that the church is for spiritual things, but we need to leave physical and mental and emotional to the experts, to the professionals, well, you might could convince me of that if, if our Father God hadn't said, you know, 10,000 things about it in His Word. He, he's, he talks about these things in the Bible. And, and we even see that the Word of God that's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it, it's able to distinguish the difference between the part of you that's spirit and the part of you that's soul, the part of you that's mind and the part of you that's emotions. And the Bible says even penetrate to the marrow in your bone and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is, this is the Word of God, amen, that, that's living and powerful and will work in you 
uh, on all three dimensions of your being and your existence. Amen. So I'm, I'm telling you all that to tell you that, uh, just to emphasize, maybe I should say it better, how important it is for us to really learn how to trust God and, and not be deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are when we're really not. Amen? Okay. So let's get back to the verses. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Amen. Let me just keep going here. There's some tie-ins to what we just said with that, but maybe we'll make them later. If not, we'll, we'll make them next week. The Lord leads. Amen. Now, Psalm 37 and 5 is, is related to this verse. It also begins with the word commit. But here he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So to give you a statement based out of both of these verses, quick and easy for you to remember, amen, we're instructed to commit our works and ways to the Lord. Commit your works and commit your ways to the Lord. Now let's do a quick review here. Why do so many people, we've asked this question multiple times, why do so many people want to trust God but so few actually do? Well, what we're finding out is this thing called commitment, right? You cannot trust God without committing yourself to Him and to His ways of doing things. We are reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. (laughs) Think about that one for a minute now. This is not just true about, you know, committing to God or committing to something that God has for you to do. It's true about any commitment in life. It was true about the commitment, those of you in in the room this morning that are married, you know, when... When, when you made that commitment, your option to, to see and to, to date and, to, and all that, other people, it, it just became greatly uh, limited and restricted down to one individual. Amen. So commitments, we're reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. No matter how hard we try, we cannot live the life God created us to live without committing ourselves to it. Now, how many of you have discovered this? I asked you this last week. Spiritual warfare increases the closer you come to committing yourself to the works and ways of God. The closer you come to to really committing yourself to what it is that God has put you on this earth to do and the way He's he's created you to do it, the closer you come to making that commitment, the the greater the spiritual warfare you're going to experience in your life. I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm just telling you we've all experienced it. Why is it it so hard to do what's right, you know? Think of all the people that will think nothing of getting up and going to work in the morning, but it was like, you know, pulling teeth and toenails to get to church this morning. God helping you and God doing it for you are two different things. See, a lot of people think trusting God means God doing it for them. That's not what it means to trust God. If I called you to my house Saturday to help me move and Pam and I got in the truck and went shopping, then I didn't call you to help me. I called you to do it for me. See, if I'm asking you to help me, that implies that I'm going to be right there working alongside you. Committing a problem to the Lord without ever committing your works and ways to the Lord will never produce a lasting solution. Now, these are answers. They may not be the answers that everybody's looking for, but these are God's answers. His answers, lasting solutions are available to us for whatever we're dealing with in life. But committing a problem to the Lord without ever committing your works or ways to the Lord will never produce a lasting solution. And then let me remind you one more time, trying something is not the same as fully committing yourself to it. 
Amen. Now, a little bit more review. Commit, we said there's, there's two meanings of the word commit. The first one is to entrust to the care of another. And we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament where our Father in Heaven invites us to do that. In the New Testament, He says it this way, Cast all your care on the Lord, for He cares for you. So this idea of rolling, uh, it's interesting to me that both the Hebrew and the Greek word both have at the root of it the idea of, of something being rolled off of you onto God. It, it carries with it this idea of casting or rolling off of your back onto God's back. So the idea that, 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 that Father God invites and welcomes us to do this is, is biblical throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. But people get very uh, interested in that aspect of commitment, committing. But there's a second part of understanding what it means to commit. And this part is to fully dedicate, obligate, or devote one's self to a course of action. See, commit your ways, commit your works. Notice, this is where that next part comes in. He's not just saying, roll the problem off on God. He's saying, roll it off on the Lord and then commit yourself to, to doing whatever it is you know, related to that problem, that issue in your life. Um, uh, God's course of action where these things are concerned. So the dilemma that we find ourselves in is we want the benefits and the blessings of number one without the effort and the commitment involved in number two. In other words, we want the peace that comes from trusting God and we want the answers and the results that come from trusting God without fully dedicating ourselves to His course of action. And so this is where a lot of people are confused and what it boils down to is they're trying to trust God to fix a problem that their current course of action is creating. Now, let's move on, all right? Or let's build on that would be a better way. Committing your works and ways to the Lord brings you into agreement with Him. Now, that is no small thing right there. You say, well, what does that mean coming into agreement with Him? We might say it this way, getting on the same page with God. Bringing, bringing ourselves into agreement with Him. Now, if you and, and, and God, or you and Father God are, are at, at odds with one another, in other words, if He says it's one way and you say it's another way, He's never going to change what He says to agree with you. Are you seeing this? If we're talking about two people, then there's give and take because no human being is ever right 100% of the time. So if there's a disagreement between you and a coworker. It may be that they need to, to uh, you know, they're wrong and they need to agree with you or you're wrong and you need to agree with them. Or it may be that you're a little bit right and a little bit wrong and he's a little bit right and a little bit wrong and you guys need to meet somewhere in the middle so that progress and, 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 and you know, can move the project or whatever it is forward. But see, when it comes to God, he's always right. He's, he's never wrong. He's never confused. Don't, don't, he's not a man. Amen. He's the uncreated one. He's eternal. He's always been. He always will be. Riding down the road yesterday, little Oliver, he's, he's, you know, just amazes me at questions. Granddaddy, who made God? 
right? Because he's figuring out all these things that, that God made, and we're talking about all these things that God made. Well, now he's wanting to know who made God. Pam said, if he's, if he's asking us that at two, what's he going to be asking us when he's ten? You know, it's like maybe we need to take Greek, you know, or something. I don't know. Amen. But the reality of it is no one made God. God has always been and he always will be. And he's never been wrong. So committing your works and ways to the Lord brings you into agreement with him. Disagreement with God is at the root of every human problem. Did you know that? That's... To, to, I know sometimes I'm accused of way oversimplifying things. I'm not, I'm not trying to way oversimplify something here. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, do it this way. Adam and Eve finally said, you know what? I think we're going to do it our own way. They disagreed with God. So disagreement with God is at the root of every human problem. So the best advice I could ever, ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Now, Related to this, we see Psalm 37 and 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Do you see in this passage, commit and trust, that's my part, that's your part. God bringing it to pass is His part. We get real excited about God bringing things to pass in our lives, God doing the impossible in our lives, God fixing what we can't fix in our lives, and we should Remember, those who expect Jehovah passed the power, amen. We were never meant to be limited by what we can do ourselves, by our own abilities, by our, by our own ingenuity. And so we get very excited about the prospect of, of, of God fixing a financial mess in our lives, God fixing some problem in our, in our body or our health or what have you. And, and He absolutely wants us to be. Don't you think for one second that I'm saying that He doesn't. But it's very easy for us because God bringing it to pass, right? That's, that's His part. But our part in committing to Him is to trust, to commit first of all, and to trust also in Him. Now, let me, let me try because I feel like this is so extremely important. I want to try to present it in, a, in just a, a simple scenario situation, okay? Um, let's, let's say that you have, um, uh, you know, friends or, or, or whatever, you really love these people and, you know, maybe you vacation with them. I don't, I don't know. You know, you just, you, it's, it's a, it's a husband and wife that has been very close to, to you and, 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 and they're, and they're having problems in their marriage. Okay. And, and so, you know, you, you try to, you know, tell them what the word says and so forth and so on. And, so the husband and the wife decide that they're now trusting God uh, with, with their marriage. Uh, matter of fact, they even tell you that they have committed their marriage to God. Okay? Well, amen. I'm not, if you think I'm making light of that, I'm not. We need to trust God with our marriage. We need to commit our marriage to God. As a matter of fact, they even boldly confess to you, faith confession, amen, God is fixing our marriage. Trusting God to do it. We've committed our marriage to Him. God's fixing our marriage. And you go, man, all oh, praise God, they've been listening to me. Amen, this is exciting, right? But while they're confessing God is fixing our marriage, they're not willing to forgive one another. 
not willing to stop talking about one another behind one another's backs to friends, co-workers, and family members or anybody that will listen. They refuse to pray together, much less pray for one another, refuse to encourage one another, refuse to bless one another, refuse to serve one another, but instead continue to insist on getting his or her way insist on uh, his or her needs be met before and above anything else. Well, do you see the problem here? You, you, you can talk about God fixing your marriage, but if you're going to commit your marriage to God, you're going to have to commit to doing it God's ways. God's ways are the ways of forgiveness. Amen? Is there anybody in the room that doesn't need forgiveness? We all need to be forgiven. God's ways are the ways of forgiveness. God's ways are the the ways of of coming together. God's ways are the ways of bringing problems before Him. God's ways are the ways of, and I could just go on and on. I mean, you you, you picked it up from, from what I was talking about here. Now, as we have studied this subject of learning to trust God from the very beginning, And I feel like we're going to develop this some more as we go along. But from the very beginning, we've been pointing out the deception that exists in a lot of God's people. It's a deception that that they've placed their trust in other things, but have incorrectly believed that they've put their trust in God. I'm not going to go back to all the verses, but remember where... God told them to prepare the horse and the chariot for battle, but to not put their trust in the chariot and the horse. How he told them that unless the Lord builds the city and watches over the city, those who labor to build it and those who labor to protect it labor in vain. So is God, is God saying, fire all the contractors and defund the police? No, the Bible's very clear that guardians and police officers and military personnel, that they're actually instruments of God's authority to, to protect. You know, read about it in Romans, I think it's chapter 13. He's not saying fire all the artisans and all the craftsmen. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that you need these things but your trust does not need to be in the horse and the chariot. Your, your trust needs to be in God. And I think this is the foundation for any child of God. This is the, foundation of, uh, the foundational understanding that we need when it comes to making decisions about things like uh, COVID vaccines. Now, whether you take the vaccine or not, that's up to you. That's between you and God, okay? But if your trust is in the vaccine and not in God, that's a very dangerous place to be. Amen. In the same way is if you're not taking the vaccine because of pride, masking, masquerading as faith, that's a very dangerous place to be. And these are questions that only you can answer. 
I, when, I, when I talked that, I had people come to me, Pastor Mark, you think that's, I'm not, this, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. If I'm pointing a finger at anybody, it's right here. Amen. Because only, only you can answer that question. Where, where is your trust? Because if your trust is in vaccines and not God, guess what? There's, there's more things that are going to need a vaccine coming. At some point, right? Let me, let, me, let me get off vaccines for a minute. What do we say about money? If your trust is in money, there'll never be enough money to make you sleep well at night. Right? That's why you, you, your trust has got to be in God. Because if your trust is in God, then Paul said, whether you got a lot of money or, or, or not a lot of money, you, you're going to be content. So, in light of what we're talking about right now, you know, God's fixing my marriage, but refusing to forgive and these kinds of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a term here, and I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm trying to, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this. You can be the judge of that as with anything that I say to you. But this wrong understanding of making a faith confession and saying you're trusting God, but not willing to commit your works and ways to the Lord, I have a term for that. It's, it's deception, but it's, it's what I call the Jesus-take-the-wheel approach to trusting God. Okay? Jesus-take-the-wheel approach to trusting God. Now, Jesus-take-the-wheel may be a nice song, but it's lousy theology. Jesus-taking-the-wheel would only make sense... If you had no free will and you were only along for the ride in life. Now, see, we almost need a sermon series right here because that's where a lot of God's people are is they think they're just along for the ride. So no wonder Jesus take the wheel feels like trusting God for them. Because there's this lie that the devil has perpetuated on the body of Christ that somehow everything that happens is God's will. My friend, the Bible is very clear about it. Things happen on planet earth every day that are not God's will. And things that are God's will for your life and for mine and for other people on planet earth, here on planet earth, whatever, things that are His will do not happen. But see, again, this is, this is where so many have, have, have been deceived by the enemy is that they believe everything that... I, we teach almost two and a half hours on this in discipleship class. I'm not going to try to do that right now. Some of you almost look stunned that I would even dare say this. Satan is the god of this world, lowercase g-o-d, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the prince of the power of the air. See, if you want to see a place where God is in control, right, you have to look to heaven. That's where God is in control. Right? See, along with this Jesus-take-the-wheel approach to trusting God, we get this God is in control, God is in control, God is in control, God is in control, God is in control. Getting quiet up in here. See, again, this is, this is where we've got to understand we're not just along for the ride. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. There are there's so many things in your life that how you handle it, how you manage it, what you say about it determines the outcome. 
We clearly see in Scripture where Jesus went to his hometown wanting to minister to people there. But the Bible says he could not do any work there among them because of the attitude in their heart and because of the place that they gave him. They gave him a place beneath them, not a place over over themselves. What's the crime rate in heaven this morning? Zero. Are you hearing me? That's where God's in control. That's where the will of God is being carried out. This is why Jesus said, "For when we pray, pray for the kingdom of God to come, the rule, the reign, the domain, the dominion of God to come, and for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we have to pray for the will of God to be done in a situation if it's automatically done anyway? I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm looking for here. I could just, I could just keep going on and on and on and on. What, what's, the, what's the crime rate in heaven? After dark on the west side. Are you... Are you it, so this Jesus take the will approach to trusting God is lousy theology and it would only make sense if you had no free will and are only along for the ride. See, notice now we're back to the Jesus help me versus Jesus do it for me. Stay with me now. A Jesus take the wheel approach to trusting God explains why so many of God's children have a backseat driver mentality to the word of God. Jesus, take the wheel and we'll speak up if we don't care for the way you're driving or if you ever try to take us somewhere we don't want to go. And who are we kidding? A Jesus, take the wheel approach to trusting God is only temporary anyway. It basically says, Jesus, I'll let you help me. Jesus, I'll let you drive when it's convenient for me or I come to places in life that I don't know what to do. How many times have we given him the wheel only to take it back when things get better. This isn't trusting God, my friend. This is God bailing you out because of His mercy and His love, but it is not trusting Him. Now watch this. Compare Jesus take the wheel to what Jesus actually said. You ready for what Jesus actually said? Jesus actually said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wow. So see, we're, we're trying to give him the wheel. And he's trying to give you a yoke. I want you to picture something in a moment in your mind. That, by the way, on the screen is a, is a yoke. And for those of you who are not familiar with what a yoke is or how it functions, on one side of that yoke, you, you would uh, put it around, uh, let's say, an oxen. And then on the other side of that yoke, you would put it around uh, the neck of another oxen. And a lot of times, the, the farmer would take the older, more experienced um, ox and, and team uh, him up with the younger, less experienced ox so that the younger one could learn from the older one. So Jesus 
the whole context here is, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, uh, and you'll, I'm meek and gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Then he goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when we see this, 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 it, it, it's, it's almost scary to some people. But what we don't realize is we're going to wear one of these. It's either going to be uh, some yoke of, of the lust of our flesh. It's going to be some yoke uh, of religion. It's going to be uh, some, uh, maybe nobody in this room, but somebody listening to me right now, you've wore a victim's yoke. You, you know, we're going to wear one of these. You're going to serve somebody. Jesus is inviting you to take his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you realize there's no such thing as yoke-less, burden-less Christianity? Otherwise known as Jesus take the wheel while I nap in the back seat. That's not, that's not who we are. That's not, that's, not, that's not how any of this works. Picture in your mind for a moment, okay? Jesus, he's, he slipped his neck through one side of that yoke and you walk around in front of him and you got to bend over because he's bent over, right? And you're bending over looking at him trying to give him your steering wheel while the other side reserved for you remains empty. That's the breakdown that, that we're having for so many people in the body of Christ. Take a long look at that yoke, my friend. It looks a whole lot like limited options and restricted freedom to me. So you put your neck in one of them bad boys, you don't get to plow wherever you want to plow. But you don't have to plow alone. See, see, that's the difference right there. Let me tell you what else that looks like right there. Or what it requires. It requires commitment. See, we're trying to give Jesus our wheel while he's trying to give us his yoke. And all the while this is going on, we're, think we're, do we're doing some kind of hero heroic, maybe even borderline fanatical Christian duty because we're temporarily offering Jesus our steering wheel. This is so important, I actually put this in my notes. Don't rush this or skip this. This mindset represents the wall so many of God's people are hitting and cannot seem to get past. We're trying to trust Him by giving Him the steering wheel when we should be trusting Him by taking His yoke. Both the wheel and the yoke represent guidance and direction. Let me just read it. I can get through it faster if I just read it. Both the wheel and the yoke represent guidance and direction. The yoke, however, includes with it commitment and effort on our part. The wheel represents napping in the passenger seat while Jesus gets us out of a jam and to where we want to be. The yoke says participant while the steering wheel says passenger. The yoke represents help while the steering wheel represents someone doing it for you. You see, we want to learn from riding what can only be learned from plowing. That's the truth. We want to learn from watching what can only be learned from doing. 
let's go back to what I consider to be two of the most important points that we've made in this last section of our study, okay? First of all, placing your trust in God will do what? It will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Trusting God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart, okay? So do you see why Jesus take the wheel while I surf the web on my iPhone in the passenger seat is never going to get you to where you want to be, where God has for you to be in life. We've been plowing through life our own way. We were never meant to do that. Jesus wants to teach you to plow his way. Not by telling you, but by plowing alongside you. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Jesus wants to teach you while you're yoked up? Take my yoke upon you and learn, right? What is it you what do you think he's wanting to teach you? He's wanting you to he's wanting to teach you the works and the ways of God. Right? He's wanting you to experience in your own life reality what the works and ways of God will produce in your life. Because again, trusting Him will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart, doors of knowing and seeing that cannot be opened any other way. Have you ever noticed that you, you know more about... In other words, I, I, I like to drive. okay, But when you're driving versus when you're a passenger, you have different experiences, right? Let me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm landing this plane, so just stay with me just a couple more, minute, couple more minutes, okay? Pam and I were discussing this because she helps me drive, and I'm thankful for it. Don't misunderstand me, you know. Um, honey, do you see that over there? You know, she's not alarmist. She's not a backseat driver. She helps me drive, and I thank her for it. Amen? She has saved us. Her and the Holy Spirit have saved me uh, I don't even know how many finger, fender benders, dings, crashes, whatever. Yeah, they're stopping, honey. They're stopping. They're stopping. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're stopping. All right, it's okay. On the interstate, right? You with me? If you think I'm talking ugly about my wife, I am not. I am grateful, thankful, appreciative. And it dawned on me one day, you know, we talk about how texting and driving has caused so many wrecks. How about texting and passengering? Is that a word? Passengering, right? There's how many wrecks would have been prevented if the passenger had not been on their cell phone but watching. Think about that for a minute, right? Things that make you say, hmm. Anyway, let's, let's, let's get back to it though. See, see, we're not passengers in this. We're participants in this. Jesus wants you to participate. He wants you to be engaged I know that, um, you know, you, you see these, these uh, tags that say, God is my co-pilot. And so then people go in, they're like, you know, you scratch through that, you know. No, God is my pilot. I understand both sides of that. But again, Jesus take the wheel. No. Let's fly this plane together is what Father God is wanting to do. So he can be the captain. 
Amen. He can be the captain. But he, he wants you to have your hands on the wheel. It's interesting that they call the wheel of an airplane a yoke, right? He wants you to have your hands on that as well. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Last slide and we'll pray. Amen. The yoke is what committing your works and ways looks like. Amen. We've been talking now for a few weeks about committing your works and ways to the Lord. Let me show you what it looks like. Okay. That's what it looks like right there. Amen. That's what it looks like right there. Now, when we started this series, we said that we were created to rule and reign in life. We were created to have dominion in life. And at the same time, we were created to be connected to, dependent upon our Creator Father. You can't have one without the other. We talked about the chariots, right? We said, what are chariots? Chariots are things that that people create in an effort to rule and reign in life without God. Overcome without trusting God. We're going to do this ourselves. We're going to make our own way. We're going to get all these horses and chariots and bows and arrows and riders and because you know, we're going to win this battle without God. See, that, that's, that's, the, that's the mindset there. This is why people are compelled to do this. But again, the way to truly reign, rule and reign in life is, is to be dependent upon Him. And we said this, remember, the less dependent you are upon God, the more you try to live independently from Him, the more dependent you become on other things, on other people, That's why as scary as that yoke may appear to you, the reality of it is, if it's Jesus' yoke, it's a beautiful yoke. If it's addiction, a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, my friend, that is a, that is a nasty, horrible, ugly, demoralizing, painful yoke. You see, the, you see what I'm talking about here, right? Father, forgive us for a Jesus-take-the-wheel approach to trusting you. It's not what you're looking for, Father, from us. Father, help us this morning to trust you enough to not give you the steering wheel of our lives, but to take the yoke. that Jesus has so freely and beautifully and wonderfully offered to us. Father, that we would learn to do life alongside him. That we would learn from the master. Never been a more successful human being on planet earth in doing your will, Father, than Jesus. (laughs) What a privilege to learn from the master, the master of all masters, the king of all kings. What a privilege this morning to accept his invitation to do life alongside him. To be taught directly from him and your Holy Spirit, your ways and your works. Father, forgive us for ever being reluctant to commit to this. 
It's where all the answers we've looked for all of our lives are to be found. Father, I thank you this morning for these beautiful men and women, Lord, these young people. Father, so much potential in this room. You put greatness in every one of them. Lord, I thank you that we're learning this most important lesson of all, Lord, to trust you. To trust you with our salvation, to trust you with our righteousness, to trust you with everything that we need in life, everything, the accomplishment of everything you've created and called us to do in life, Father. I pray for that one that's listening to me right now, either in this room or online or both, Father that may be struggling in the areas of their mental health, Lord. So many times we hear that and, and, and we think that it's referring to some, you know, terrible diagnosis or some issue, Father. And yet there are folks listening to me right now that, that are bound by so much anxiety, Father, that they want to be present in this building, but anxiety is preventing them from being here and preventing them from doing many other things, Lord. Father, I thank you that the answer to these things is found in trusting you, learning to trust you. And Father, for that one that's listening to me right now that is in the middle of some situation in their lives that they simply do not understand, Father, I thank you that we can still have peace. That's why you called it peace that passes understanding. Is if we'll learn to trust somebody who does. And Lord, we recognize that you understand things that we don't. You see things that we don't see right now. And so we trust you, Father. And we find peace in that trusting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this morning, for tuning in this morning. Have a great rest of your day, a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you Wednesday night. If not before.